Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are in Joshua chapter 6. Amazing story. Amazing story. And we've seen the people of Israel now come out of the wilderness. God has brought them across the Jordan River. They carried the ark. The river stopped. Three million Jews migrated across the Jordan River, have now set up camp in the promised land that God had given Abraham that we had talked about. And so there they are. And as we said, that if we were there and had a mighty army of several million people, that on day one we would have launched and attacked Jericho because God had given us Jericho. And yet God said, no, that's not my plan for you. My plan for you is that I want all the adult males over 20 to be circumcised. I want you to celebrate the Passover, and I want you to eat for the first time the fruit of this land, since there's no need any longer for manna. Three things. And so you see how God prepared them, and God spoke to them, whereas we as men would have a plan, well, let's get together, let's put a military plan together. God says, no, first things first, I want to see sanctification, repentance in your heart, I want to see circumcision renew the covenant that I had with Abraham. And so there they are, effectively neutralized as an army. You can imagine circumcision out there in the middle of nowhere with flint knives. And obviously that army was not in the capacity to go forward and attack. I'm certain for a couple of weeks for sure. But God didn't care. That's what God said we do. And there's a lesson in this, as we'll talk about later, how God says, not your ways, not your ways, but my ways. And the whole idea of this is to waiting on God. We are men of God, praying and asking God for wisdom. And so now God lays out, and we believe it's Jesus Christ. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. As Joshua is reconnoitering uh, Jericho, and he sees a soldier brandishing a sword, And he recognizes immediately that he's in the presence of God. And the Lord says to him, take off your sandals. The ground you are standing on is holy, which is the same words that God repeated to Moses a couple hundred years earlier. Take off your sandals. The ground you're standing on is holy. And so God appears again. Jesus Christ, I believe, appears and and lays out the plan, lays out the plan to Joshua, how they're going to take Jericho, I have given you this battle. This battle is won. This is how it's going to be done. And God then lays out the plan that they will march around the city of Jericho every day for seven days. They will carry the Ark of the Covenant around the city. And we know that the city, from uh, geological and archaeological studies, is about eight or nine acres. It probably took them about 45 minutes or so to traverse, just think of this mob of people, three million people with the ark. And God says, told them, I want silence. I don't want anybody to speak. I want you just to march around. And every day carrying the ark with the trumpets, the, the trumpets that would announce the festivals, the Jewish festivals, these trumpets blowing the horn and then marching once around the city. And they did it for six straight days. Didn't make sense. But this is what God told them to do. And this is what they did. Not saying a word, can you imagine? 
And you can just imagine what it, what it must have been like for them as they marched. And these walls are up about 75 feet high. They're four feet thick. And I'm sure the uh, people of Jericho were standing on top of the walls. And I'm sure they were not saying kindly things. I'm sure they were not saying kindly things. I'm sure that in their language the word loser probably was hurled down a few times and probably a few more worse words, okay? As the world you know, indicts. How dare you live that kind of a life? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are trying to live a life like that? You think, you think you're going to be helped by your God by marching around this wall? Are you kidding me? Honestly. And you see, there they go. One day, two, three, four, five, six days. And finally, on the seventh day, God says, now this time, this time, this time, you're going to march seven times around. Seven times. Now, you can imagine what that had to be like. That's, that's like three or four hours of marching silently around the city. And then, and then you blow the horn and you shout, and the walls will come down. Really? Really? Yeah, that's what I told you. That's what will happen. So turn, turn to Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. That's critical. That will become critical as we study. That's a commandment that God gives. Keep away from the devoted things, the articles that God has told them to stay away from. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. And I want to explain to you what that verbiage means. They marched straight in. It means that the wall came down totally at once. It wasn't a breach here, a breach there, a hole there. No, the entire wall collapsed. Can you imagine? So that effectively they all uniformly went in wherever they were. So it was not, it was not an attack through a, a one single breach, but it was a simultaneous attack now walking over what was formerly a wall that is now debris. And the only part of the wall that stayed up was the part that held Rahab's house. Because you know her house, her house was in the wall. So can you imagine? Here it is. Everything collapses except that part where Rahab is. Um, and it's an amazing thing to see. 
And so when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. They they devoted the city to the Lord. That word means they wiped everybody out. Okay, and let's understand what's going on here. This is not the Jews acting in a vicious way or warlike way. This is a theocracy, and the king has given his order, and the king is the creator of the universe, and the king has determined that the time of judgment is nigh, that he had waited years to see whether these people would repent, and they had not repented from their pagan ways. They were into child sacrifice. This was an evil people. And so now God was using the Jewish people to effectuate a judgment. Let's understand this. We don't see this anymore. There are no longer any theocracies. Israel was the sword of God. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Now, I I know some of you are going to say, I don't understand how God could do this. I don't understand it myself but I bow to the sovereignty of God, recognizing that God saw some incredible perpetual evil and had allowed that, that, those people time to repent from their evil ways, and they did not. And then God executes judgment. And you see this, God executing judgment. Because he did it with Sodom and he did it with Gomorrah. And, and God does this periodically where he just wipes out the entire place. Which is why we have to be so careful, really, even as how we live today, recognizing that just that, that we're not immune, that God could do this again. God could do this again. Uh, and, and it's imp- important for us to understand this, including the animals. Can you imagine? Including the animals. God did not want one bit of pollution of that culture to infect the Jewish people. Not one bit of that culture was to, to affect the Jewish people. That's how serious God is about his own people. And think about that as we live our lives and how you see your family live their lives when we call ourselves God's people. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At the time Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. And so that curse remained for many, many hundreds of years. Archaeologists who have found what appears to be the remnants of that city say that you can find there and you actually can see the evidence of debris of what a wall would be and that it's actually almost like dust. It's not like in pieces. 
it's not like a breach. You, you know, they, it's indicating when I read, studied this that you, that, you, that there's an aspect of uniform destruction, and it had not really been rebuilt, not really been rebuilt, although some people tried it. Uh, and so the other aspect of this is you see how God remains faithful to Rahab. Uh, and it's interesting, they say Rahab lives to this day among the Israelites. You know that Rahab is in the genealogical line of David and in the genealogical line of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means God doesn't care about your past. So when people say to me, well, yeah, I'm not prepared to go to the Lord yet. I've got to clean up a lot of things in my life. And I hear people say that. That's a loser statement. That's a statement that's a loser statement because what that means is you, you aren't getting the first base. You're going to clean up your life? Are you, are you kidding me? You can't clean up your life. You have to come to Christ with the mess that you are and say, God, I can't help myself. I need a savior. And when you make that statement to God and reach your hand up to him, he reaches a million miles down and grabs you and pulls you out of the, the sin, muck, and mire of your life. And that's how you come to Christ. And that's what, what this woman did, Rahab, and how God honored her and forgave her and lifted her up. We don't have a past with God. God doesn't care about what you've done. Uh, somebody recently said to me as I was, I was endeavoring to get them some help and speak to them about the Lord, uh, and this lady said, well, you might hear some bad things about my past. I said, I don't care. I don't, Jesus doesn't care about your past. How much more can I say that? Jesus doesn't care about your past. All right? Your sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. You want a triumphant Christian life? Leave that baggage there and look forward. Look forward because that's what God is telling us. Look, we've all done things that we're sorry about. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. But that's the way life is. We live in a sin-infested world. And so we have to recognize this. And so God really is speaking in a very loud way to us through this story. Uh, and so, I mean, when you think about it, when you really think about it, who would have come up with a plan like this, march around the city X number of times, blow a trumpet? Uh, and none of, us, none of us would have come up with a plan like this. Most of us would have sat there and said, are you kidding me? I, I, I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. I'm going to be abused. People are going to make fun of me. People are going to mock me. If I do this and yet you see through faith alone in Christ, how God takes care of us. I want to say that to you. Faith alone in Christ, God will take care of you. And so even as you live your life now and, and you're endeavoring to live the life of a Christian and you're and you're going to church and you're involved in in Bible studies and you're involved in outreach uh, and and yet you have friends that you're still friendly with people that are not committed Christians, and they'll look at you and go, come on, really, what are you, going, what are you doing with these Bible studies? What are you trying to do? They don't understand. And I'm going to say this to you, that you need to endure and stay the course, continue to do what God is touching you to do, because you are the priest of your home. You are leading your children. You are leading your grandchildren. And when you die, they will remember the life that you led in Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. My father's been gone now 15 years. 
Uh, and I still remember. I still remember all the days that my father would take us, even though he was tired, we'd go into church several times a week. I remember that. I remember the dedication. Uh, and it sticks with me. It's a legacy. It's a legacy that you can have with your children and with your grandchildren. I want to impress this upon you that this is a this is a big deal. And so you see, God had prepared the Jews to take Jericho. Uh, and, and it's amazing when you see this, how God said, I have given them. I have given you the city. That's what he says to you today. I have given you an abundant life. But you have to be within God. You have to be holy. You have to repent. You have to sanctify. All of these things that God wants to give you require that you are with him. A lot of us go this way. Oh, I want it, God. Yet I got a lot of things I like to do on my own. I don't necessarily want to go down this path that you're leading me to do. I want to do it my way. You know, and, you know, it's not, I can go into the world, Lord. I can go into the world. It's not going to affect me. Oh, no, it's not going to affect you. No, you're the one person that can go into the world and not, and not be affected. Uh, you're going to get holier. You're going to get holier, honestly. That's, that's where you're going to be. Uh, and, and you see this, uh, and, and you understand it. But God leads us through Jesus Christ in triumph. Um, and there's a couple of words, a couple of verses that speak eloquently about this and who we are. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Wow. Leads us through a triumphal procession. I picked this verse because it reminds me of the profession, uh, a procession of the Jewish people around Jericho as they were being led by Christ. And God is leading you today. And as he's leading you and giving you the life that he wants you to give, it says here that those of us who are being led by him spread everywhere the fragrance and knowledge of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The fragrance and knowledge. It means this. It means you don't even know who you are affecting. Many of you are saying, oh, I can't preach. I'm not an evangelist. I can't speak to people. That's right. You can't. God maybe didn't give you that gift. But you are spreading the aroma of Christ to people who are looking at you and watching you live. Not even recognizing that this is taking place. And where does this happen? It happens in a hospital room. In a hospital room. It happens at the golf club. It happens at breakfast. In so many different ways when you, where you are as a Christian trying to serve God and lead a godly life that people are watching. When you get that diagnosis from the doctor, that's not a good diagnosis. And instead, you go, I live myself, I give my life to you, God. Whatever it is, I accept, I submit. And nurses and doctors stand slack-jawed because they see the same people fall apart who are not with God, who don't have the promise that we do, and they see that. Or when you're in a restaurant and you're with your family and all of a sudden you bow your head and say grace and all the eyes of the restaurant, whether you know it or not, are looking at you. They're watching. There's something different going on at that table. Come on. You know that's what's taking place. You know that's what's taking place. Uh, and and uh, 
What a testimony that is. I told you growing up, we only went out like maybe three times a year because we were poor. Three times a year we went out. It was basically for one of our birthdays. Uh, and we would go out to a diner. That was, that was basically a big thing for us. And my father would say grace. And when my father said grace, let me put it to you this way. And lo, the Hittites are in the hills. Are in the hills. Oh, God, Dad, please. You know, and you've got your head bowed and you're looking around because I'm, I'm in godless New Jersey. You understand? Godless New Jersey, for crying out loud. I'm not in the Bible belt. And yet I know God had a testimony for us there. I know he had a testimony. And so this is what the aroma of Christ is about. Even when you're being dragged along, your kids are being dragged along, but they won't forget it. They won't forget it. They will remember that and they get older. Uh, and you can do it now with your own grandchildren and you see this. It's so It's so important. Uh, take a look also at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go to sin on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have been united with him like this in his death. We will also certainly be united with him in the resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Amen? No longer be slaves to sin. No longer be handcuffed by sin. Yes. Are you going to sin? Yes. Are you going to fall? Yes. But you're going to get up. Because through the grace of God, he's with you. And he's going to restore you. And he's going to forgive you. And he's going to strengthen you. And these are going to be tests in your life. And you're going to see it. So look at these people, the Israelites. They spent 40 years paying for their sins and their waywardness in the desert. Did God punish them forever? No. He restored them. And now you see the whole, you know, the restoration is so incredible. And so as I read this and I, and I study about how God promises them this is his fight, he has delivered them, uh, you would see that this battle plan would never again be formulated anywhere in Scripture. It would serve once and for all to teach Israel and God and people of all ages that we have human responsibilities in tearing down the strongholds in our life through the power of God and our faithfulness. I want to repeat that. This message is about tearing down the strongholds of your life. This is not just about us historically studying a city named Jericho. It's about your own Jerichos. And every one of us here has our own Jerichos. Uh, we all have issues, whether it's our love of our possessions, uh, our unrealistic love of a family, putting people ahead of God, uh, being, being in some ways uh, legalistic in our religious expression. These all become strongholds. And what do I mean by strongholds? They're between you and God. You think of them first. It becomes your first love. And so you understand how God is demonstrating to us that in order to bring these strongholds down, 
through our faith in him, relying on Christ, as we sanctify our lives, he will deliver us. He will pull those strongholds down. And one of the things that we see here is the number seven coming up. And seven in scripture is the sign of perfection. That wasn't, God just didn't say by accident seven times. It wasn't just seven being thrown around accidentally. That was, that was a, a sign from God of perfection. As you know, the world and God's rest of the seven, first seven days of creation. Seven throughout scripture is a sign of a new order, a sign of perfection, a sign of God laying his hands on this whole enterprise. And so one of the things that we see as we understand and recognize that we have these strongholds, because we're studying this, the study of Jericho, but what are we going to take out of this today? When you walk out of here today, I want you to have something other than a, a theological study of the city of Jericho. I want you to understand what God has for you today. And what God is telling you today that we have strongholds and God has given us weapons, weapons to fight and pull down these strongholds. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is important because every one of us has these issues in our lives. Verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Amen? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? It means that even as men of God, even as Christians, even as guys that are trying to serve God, we have thoughts that are not consistent with our walk. That's the way your mind works. That's the way the flesh works. Thoughts are going to come into your head. Well, what do you do when that happens? You make those thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. You say, God, please give me the grace of Jesus. Purge these thoughts. Purge these obsessions. I prayed for, for a brother that asked me to ask God to take certain obsessions away from him. That's the kind of prayer that God honors. That's exactly the kind of prayer. That's what you need to do when you know that these are the, the very strongholds in your life that you're fighting against. And so you raise them. So what does it mean? It means that the nature of the believer's weapons are the weapons of, of Christ that Jesus has given us. These are the weapons. That's the nature of what we have as believers. And we have it through prayer. We have it through faith and the truth that comes out of this book, the Bible. There's your weapons. You pray about it. You ask God for grace and strength. And then you read the scripture and get confirmation as to how God wants you to live your life and fight these issues. And now the design and purpose of our weapons are these design Weapons are to tear down the strongholds that I spoke about. And the strongholds, again, are those things that relate to our human reasoning. You know that. You've got an intellect. Yes, I am very intelligent. I am well-read. I am well-educated. I really know 
how to run my life. I know how to make these decisions. Yes, Lord, when I go to church, yes, you're good in church. But once I walk into the world, when I go to work, Lord, that's me. That's my world. Or I would say, when I go to court, you know what I learned? I learned that if I live that kind of way, my life is a zero. Because if you think, if you honestly think that as a Christian, that you can separate your life into God's part and your part, well, let me clue you in. Your part has just collapsed the whole thing. It's collapsed the whole thing. There cannot be a your part. It's got to be constantly and totally God's part. You see that as you understand the strongholds. Human reasoning or ideas. Values. Yes, values. Well, yes, I'm a humanist. I have humanistic ideas. Uh, and I hear, I hear people talking about this all the time. When I'll come across them uh, and they'll find out that I'm a Bible teacher. And then it'll all come up. Well, you don't really believe, do you? You don't really believe that there's just one way? That's really medieval. Really. You, you, believe, you believe that all these people that are out there uh, in India to leper colonies or, or Africa, uh, and that they're not Christians, that they're going to hell? Look, it's not what I believe. My beliefs are irrelevant. What does the Bible say? That's what you say. That's why, you know what, I'm not afraid to go on television. If I go on television, and, and this is one of the sad things, every time they pick some televangelist, and they would put him on Larry King, right? You remember. They put him on Larry King, and they, inevitably the, the, the $60 question comes down. Uh, you don't believe that uh, Jews are going to hell, do you? You don't believe that people that don't believe in Jesus are going to hell. And here's what you get. <laughs> and then there's babbling. There's babbling. And effectually, at the end of the day, they've wrecked the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because they're politicians. Even as they tend to say they're televangelists, there is still some part of man that wants to be beloved. I want people to love me. And if I say you're going to hell, oh, they will not love me. They will not love me. Listen, folks, I'm not interested in being loved. I'm not interested in being loved. I'm interested in serving God. And that's what you need to be. And here's the thing. It's not your opinion. Nobody spoke more about hell than Jesus Christ. Nobody. Over and over and over again. So when we say we believe that there is a place called hell, and we believe that despite everything God has done, including bankrupting heaven to keep us from going to that place, that we, because of these strongholds in our mind and in our heart, have decided we're going anyway, and we wind up there. Is that my opinion? Or is it because I've defied the word of God? So you, I want you to be able to say to people, oh, it's not my opinion. My opinion's irrelevant. It's what I read in scripture. And you see this. This is why we read the Bible. This is why we study the Bible. Because we need to know what God has said. And so you see this. And eventually, all these strongholds, at the end of the day, are set up by Satan. Make no mistake about it. Don't think it's, yo, yo, well, I have this problem in my mind. It's Satan. All right? Or these values. It's Satan. Or, or the obsessions that you have. These are satanic, demonic obstacles. 
Satan knows you. He knows your weaknesses. And he's very adept, very adept at setting up these strongholds in order to get you to trip and fall. And we want to be able to tell you how not to have that happen, how to, how to be able to be strong. And so as you see this picture, it's going around Jericho. You see the use of the blaring trumpets, also adding a spiritual tone. These were trumpets that were only used to announce religious feasts. That's all that they were used for. And so what does it mean? It means that God was announcing, I am walking here. I am walking here. He's announcing it to the Jewish people, and he's announcing it to the pagans. This is not just a military undertaking. The God of heaven, the creator of the universe, is now going to tear down these walls. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be able to walk like that in your life? Have that confidence to know that God is walking with you just like that, just like he walked with the three million Jews around, around Jericho. So what's the application of this? What's the application of this? Well, what does it mean? It means that these strongholds impede our spiritual progress. The Jerichos impede our spiritual progress. These strongholds might be a weakness in character, might be a physical infirmity, uh, it might be an indifference to God's way of thinking uh, or just general neglect of our religious life. All of those things fall into what I would call uh, the application of strongholds. Uh, it could be materialism. You're, you're caught up in a materialistic world. You're caught up into loving your possessions. Uh, it may be you caught up to your work or your profession, that everything in your life is predicated on you advancing as a career and having the world say, yes, you're the smartest person I ever met. And all of that becomes an obstacle, an obstacle, and is interfering with your spiritual growth. It may even be a personality flaw. That's hard to believe. <laughs> Me? My winsome personality? But yes, I'm sorry to tell you, that even aspects of your personality can wind up being a stronghold uh, and an obstacle. And that we have to understand that the only way you will live a victorious Christian life is when you submit yourself to God, when you adopt the plan of God in your life, when you march around Jericho seven times, even when it makes no sense, and then you give God the victory. And when you see that, you understand how God honors those who honor him. What a story this is. What a story. Uh, and then in verse 18 of that chapter, you see God making this strict command. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the band, under the band, lest you covet them and take some of the things under the band so you would make the camp, camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. That's pretty simple, isn't it? There's no confusion. You understand what's meant there. Don't touch what I told you not to touch. And what happens? You know what's going to happen in the next chapter. I gave you the outline. Uh, one of the Israelites is going to steal and as a result of that, there's going to be an incredible failure. Defeat is going to come. The entire country is going to be defeated because of the moral failure of one man. What does it mean? It means that in your life, 
be careful of violating the Lord's commandment. You know what God wants. You know what it means to live a godly life. You know that. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. And this is Samuel replying to Saul now, who has violated God's command about destroying everything and instead decided to keep some of the plunder for himself. He thought it was... He would use it for the worship of God. Yeah, yeah. And now Samuel is is basically sticking his finger into Saul. Verse 22. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination an arrogance like the evil of idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Oh, wow. Wow. Are you kidding me? This is what happens when you don't, when you don't listen to what God has commanded, when you adopt sin, when you follow a life that's not consistent with what God wants for you. Don't say, well, I'm still going to church. Oh, yeah, I'm going to church. I'm still a deacon. I'm still an usher. God doesn't care about those rituals. He cares about your heart. Are you living the life that God wants you to live? I want to see the heart. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, this is such a a poignant uh, scriptural citation. That somebody else referred to it. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. And that's what we do when we try to teach. We, we tie the Old Testament to the New Testament to show you there's one book. Jesus constantly, constantly cited scripture. Constantly. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 13. But speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus says as follows. But... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What does it mean? It means God is not looking at your religious practices. Your religious practices aren't going to get you to heaven. Your religious practices are not going to engage you with God. It's your heart. Where's your heart? Have you given God your heart? Is your heart circumcised? Why do you think God declared that the Jewish people had to be circumcised right there on the banks of the Jordan River? Because it was that act of circumcision which went back hundreds of years to the covenant of Abraham which said, you are my people. You are with me. We are one. You understand that? God looks at your heart. Not interested in your religious practices. I'm not interested in your rituals. I'm interested in your heart. And so you see this. And so uh, one of the things that we see here is as God lays out his plan and gives them the instructions, we see that God is telling them that they had to have faith. This is what I'm telling you. You need to have faith. Uh, And I, I spoke about this yesterday where Jesus said this at the tomb of Lazarus 
right before he raises Lazarus from the dead. And Martha, Lazarus' sister, who, a good woman, and several verses earlier says, Yes, Lord, you are Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Fast forward four verses. Jesus, move away the stone. Martha, oh, no, don't do that. He's been in there for four days. He stinketh by now. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say I was the son of God? Didn't you just say that four verses earlier? And now you don't want me to roll the stone away? Because why? Because I'm not powerful enough as God to raise someone from the dead. And that's where Jesus said that for us, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Not what we normally say, right? What do we normally say? Seeing is believing, right? You know, somebody tries to sell you a bridge, you know, and, and another human being. And what do we say? Well, <laughs> seeing is believing, you know? No, no, no. That's not the way God works. Believing is seeing. And you see it here. And so they believed. Joshua believed. They had faith. The people of Israel had faith. And in that faith, God honored their faith. And look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at that. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great faith chapter. The great faith chapter in which the writers gives all the great people of Israel that had had faith over the years. And look at verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith. And then look at verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she, was wel because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. You want to have a triumphant life? You want to be consistent with God? You want God to bless you? You want to have the abundance that God has promised you? You want to have peace that God has promised you? Well, you have to have faith that God is honoring your prayers. Believing is seeing. And look also, right after this chapter, the first, chap the first verse of chapter 12, we, go, we see all the great leaders of faith, all the great patriarchs who exhibited faith and were honored by God because of their faith. And then look at the first verse in verse 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance. The Jews persevered. Day two, day three, day four, day five. No wall falling. It's not happening. You losers. You losers. Day six, persevering, following God, having faith. Day seven, seven times, seven times, seven times, persevering, enduring by faith, knowing that God will honor you. God will answer your prayer. Believing is seeing, shouting, and the wall comes down. And the wall comes down. And the wall is going to come down in your lives. The strongholds are going to come down in your lives. You live this kind of life. You appropriate these words to your life. You make this commitment to be with God. God will be with you. Let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us, Father. They resonate so loudly with us as we see what faith is about and how we are to live that kind of holy life, Lord, and to stay close to the cross and have Christ proceed ahead of us in every aspect of our life so that we can pull down these strongholds in every possible way. Thank you for these men, Lord. Protect them. Bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.